How are you feeling after your bike-a-thon? I'm exhausted. (laughs) So when did it end? Uh, So it's 7 p.m. on Friday to 7 p.m. on Saturday is the race. Hello, and welcome to Did You Do Your Homework, the pop culture podcast where normally we assign you homework, and then we talk about it using a bit of an academic lens. However, it is July, aka Summer Break Month. So, much like last episode, instead of assigning you a specific homework, this episode, we're just going to be talking about summer blockbusters in general. I assume if you're listening to this podcast, you have seen a summer blockbuster at some point in your life. So that was the homework. You've already done it. Congrats. We talked about assigning Ant-Man and the Wasp, but then I don't think either Pete or I had time to go see Ant-Man and the Wasp. No, neither of us did. (laughs) If you did that, you are one step ahead of us. Yes, exactly. Uh, And ditto with the new Mission Impossible movie, uh, whatever its post-colon name is. Uh, As Martha alluded... I think. Fallout, there we go, yeah. Also, Uh, have I revealed the dirty secret of mine that I've never actually seen a Mission Impossible movie on this uh, podcast? Ooh, you should, and we'll get to that soon, because I just finished watching one. Uh, But before we get into any of that, we should probably introduce ourselves... Uh, my name is Pete Romberg, and today I am recovering from my uh, 24-hour neighborhood bike relay race that I do every year. Normally, I say it's the best weekend of the year. This year, I am getting married in a weekend, so I am not allowed to say right. that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, with me, as always, I'm joined by my co-host. I am Martha Sullivan, and today I am a furniture mover and room rearranger. Uh, My parents just closed on their house, so it was like last chance to take anything out of here that you want. Uh, So Bill and I now have a new kitchen table, and my college desk is uh, not only in my house, but is now serving as my podcasting station. Nice. That's both, like, exciting and sad. Yeah, you know, they talked about... They've been talking about downsizing for a while, mm-hmm. and the first time they talked about it, I got really upset and, like, trapped in my feelings about it, but that was three years ago, and I think this time around, I was already used to the idea. Yeah. So I, I just haven't been, I have not been upset about it this time. I've just been very happy that they found a place that they liked, and they're still in Oak Park. And oh, cool. Yeah, so it's it's good all around. Yeah, nice, nice. Yeah, three years is hopefully enough time to acclimate to the idea. <laughs> you, yeah, you would hope. Yeah, yeah. Seeing as I'm an, an, an seeing as I am an adult person. Yes, yes, exactly. Also, words are hard sometimes. <laughs> this this is going to be a good punchy episode for me because, uh, as I was telling Martha off the air, I had two hours of sleep during the bike race, so I'm not firing on necessarily all of my cylinders. Let's get kicky. Yes. <laughs> Before we get into talking about summer blockbusters, uh, we should share with you, our listeners, our podcasting credentials, the thing we have consumed most recently. Martha, what is yours? Uh, so, first of all, I am a Stephen King stan. I went through a Stephen King phase when I was in junior high. I read most of his work when I was arguably too young to be reading it. That's about um, when I, I went believe... through my phase as well. Yeah, I believe I have discussed the importance of Stephen King just to my overall pop culture attitude uh, when I talked about it um, back in our 2017 Top 10 episode. 
Um, but the reason it is valid now is that I have been, I just watched all three episodes of Castle Rock that are available on Hulu, uh, which is a new show produced by J.J. Abrams um, and signed off. I think it's executive produced by Stephen King. Uh, it is not a direct adaptation of any of his work, but it is heavily influenced uh, by many of his stories that take place in the fictional city of Castle Rock, Maine. Um, it which, is which is very... a staple in like Stephen King main, yeah, it's main like, geography. Yeah, it's like Salem, Derry, and Castle Rock yeah. are the triumvirate of spooky Maine uh, towns. Um, it does use some of his characters. So like the sheriff fr from the story Needful Things is a character in it. Uh, one of the things I find delightful about it is how many of the actors in it have been in other Stephen King projects, hmm. like Bill Skarsgård or Sissy Spacek. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> it is three episodes old. New episodes are dropping on Wednesday. Uh, it looks to be sort of the... Um, Typical Stephen King, like the evil of a place affects the people that live there, uh, crossed with a little bit of um, Bill Skarsgård, maybe the devil incarnated on Earth. Um, but so far, it is highly entertaining, and I'm enjoying it a lot. Is it one of the, like a, um, a show where every episode is an independent story with just a through line, or is there like an overarching season plot? There's an overarching season plot. So okay. you have Andre Holland, who plays a denizen of Castle Rock, who went missing when he was 12 and then found by uh, the sheriff, Alan Pangborn, who is the Needful Things sheriff. Um, and then you find out that the warden of Shawshank Prison um, has been keeping Bill Skarsgård in prison, or has keep, been keeping him imprisoned underneath Shawshank for like 20 years <laughs> off the books. Uh, so the show opens with the warden committing suicide and them finding Bill Skarsgård and Andre Holland comes back to be his lawyer, but he may be the devil. Um, also, Melanie Linsky shows up and is kind of psychic. And right now we're still in a very like setting up all of the creepy different things that are happening. Mm -hmm. um, but it is one story. I will be interested to see if it, becomes like an American horror story um, anthology show where each season is its own contained. Right. Deal. Season two is called Salem or something. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see. Um, but yeah, if you're a Stephen King fan um, or a JJ Abrams fan, I highly recommend it. Uh, it is very creepy and fun. Cool. Uh, my pop culture credential segues very closely into the summer blockbuster. I, uh, idea because I rewatched, um, I literally just finished rewatching Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, the most recent uh, Mission Impossible that is not currently in theaters. Um, it's directed by Christopher McGuire, who I think maybe did some, he, he also wrote it, He's he directed and wrote the current one in theaters now. Uh, it's a delightful Mission Impossible movie. You watch Tom Cruise run around a lot and do a lot of insane practical stunts. Um, there's lots of think pieces that have been written and, and republished uh, with the new movie coming out about what the Mission Impossible movies are about. Their plots are always nonsense. They're, since the Brad Bird um, uh, Rogue Nation, where he like climbs the Burj Dubai, um, or the Burj Khalifa, whatever, whichever one, uh, the movies have leaned very heavily into the idea that Tom Cruise is a crazy person, 
playing a crazy person who does impossible things um, for your entertainment. And it's always highly entertaining. Um, Martha, I know that you love the Fast and Furious movies for a variety of reasons. So much. I think these, the Mission Impossible movies are better versions of the Fast and Furious movies, if only because, like, you do have a, a charismatic cast. It's not quite as charismatic as those, but the effects are and the stunts lean more towards the practical side than the CGI side. So you're unlikely to see, like, tanks get parachuted out of an airplane or, like, them racing a submarine. Uh, but it, it, it feels much more real when you see it. Um, and well, that's not throwing shade on the Fast and Furious movies because I like them too. Well, so here are several things about Mission Impossible and Tom Cruise. The first thing is that I've never seen a Mission Impossible movie, which is not because I have, like, anything against them. Yeah. I just... I never saw the first one, so then the sequels came out, and I never, like, got caught up. Um, a, a nice thing about them is you you basically don't have to watch any movie. Like, you, you could see any of them, and it would be totally fine. I hear that the sure. new one is the first one that sort of leans on the prior history. Like, they, they'll make references, but, like, watch some spies do some crazy things. Self-contained story. Done. Um, the second thing is that I wish that I didn't know that Tom Cruise was such a terrible human being because yeah. I really like watching him on screen. I think he's a very effective leading man. I really enjoyed both Edge of Tomorrow and um, Oblivion. And I, I don't think any other movies that he makes other than Mission Impossible make money at this point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but the other thing and the thing that I really wanted to tell you, and you may know this already, but... Because Tom Cruise does most of his own stunts, he frequently plans, and he is an executive producer on most of the movies that he makes, mm -hmm. he will plan the movie, he will plan scenes in the movie based around a cool stunt he's decided he wants to do. And the movies definitely feel that way. So oh. a lot of the Mission Impossible cool stunts exist because Tom Cruise said, I would like to learn how to jump out of a helicopter. Mm-hmm. Or, like, it would be cool if I climbed this skyscraper. And then yes. make a set piece around that, please. The opening scene in Edge of Tomorrow is him getting out of a helicopter in the middle of Trafalgar Square. And they are doing that because he decided it would be cool. <laughs> I mean, there are far worse reasons to, like, plan where you're going to shoot a movie or what you're going to do. Please see, um, uh, who's the comedian who famously... And I'm using comedian kind of in air quotes, uh, who famously just wants to, like, has have his movie in Hawaii because he wants to go to Hawaii. Um, I don't know. I'm sorry. He's from the 90s. Uh, I mean, he's still around, just not good. <laughs> but yeah, mostly I'm sad that Tom Cruise is a scary, horrible Scientology, um, you know, sexist yeah. asshole because... I think that he genuinely does love movies and he loves making movies and he employs a lot of people and I just wish that he was not a terrible human being. Yep, uh, co-signing on everything you just said. All right, well, that seems like a good segue into our discussion on blockbusters. Uh, before yeah. we get started, let's actually like describe what we're talking about when we talk about summer blockbusters. Some of our later discussion is going to be about things that don't fit this bill, but either should or were expected to. Uh, but before we get to the outliers of the non-blockbusters, what exactly is a summer blockbuster? Uh, Martha, what uh, do you think? So I have the dictionary.com definition up right now. And 
According to Dictionary.com, a blockbuster is an unusually successful hit with widespread popularity and huge sales, especially a movie or play or recording or novel. So we would be talking in terms of a movie. Um, I think that at this point in our cultural zeitgeist, we can remove the word unusually. Mm-hmm. Because I, I think that movies that are released in the summer, many of the movies that are released in the summer, um, the big budget, um, high concentration of A-list stars are released with the intention of becoming a blockbuster. Um, but really, I think that the word blockbuster refers to a movie that makes a lot of money. And, and I, I, yeah, definitely. Um, I also think, like, when I think of summer blockbuster, and, and this is something we're going to sort of interrogate, but I think of a movie that tends to be more action-oriented rather than a comedy or a drama. Um, a, a comedy can sometimes sneak in. Often you'll have action comedies, but dramas are not what I'm thinking of when I think of a blockbuster. Um, well, and I think that that goes, that is part of the, these movies, these movies need to make a lot of money because they cost a lot to make. Yes. And an action movie is just going to cost more to make than a comedy or a drama. And it's going to have, hopefully the studio thinks, a much wider appeal than a drama. Um, especially in summer, you have a lot of people uh, going to the movie theater just for the air conditioning. Uh, I was going to say, and one of the reasons I think that these movies tend to come out more often in the summer is because, and we will get into the, the whole idea of a movie release calendar in a little bit, uh, but studios release the movies that cost a lot to make during the season where more people go see movies because mm-hmm. they know that they're going to better be able to recoup and make a profit on those movies. Yes. One third thing about summer blockbusters that I, I think of when I hear the term, although it is definitely unfair and untrue, and Martha, I know you want to push back against this a lot, is the idea that they're just sort of big, dumb, and loud. Um, I think that there definitely are those uh, in this category, but that is certainly not um, how they all are. And the the er summer blockbuster, the one that everyone sort of agrees started at all, Jaws, uh, is not a big, dumb, loud movie. Yes. Um, I am very resistant to this idea that just because a movie is a quote-unquote summer blockbuster means that the only value that it has is like empty-headed entertainment. And I I do want to pause and just make clear that I also don't think there's anything wrong with movies that are, that just exist to be big dumb and entertaining. Like we we're just I, talking about love of uh, uh Fast and Furious movies. Right. Like I am a huge proponent of the idea that when I go to the movies, frequently I go to be entertained, and that can mean a lot of different things. Um but I do think that because these big action movies have predominantly been released in the summer for the financial reasons that we already talked about. They have gained a reputation for being, um, like, I think the the sort of culturally popular term is a popcorn movie, where you mm-hmm. just go to munch your popcorn and turn your brain off for a while. And I think that that does not give credit to the movies that do a lot more legwork than that. Like, I, I my reaction to you talking about that was to pull up um, Mad Max Fury Road and yes. see when that was released because that was May, baby. Yes, May of 2015, which is technically in the summer blockbuster season. That movie was huge, cost a lot of money, made a lot of money, uh, and got nominated for Best Picture. Like, that I think is a complex, incredibly well crafted, uh, and well put together movie that I think the initial reaction was to dismiss it on its value. 
because of when it was released, how much money it took to make, how much it made. Yes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot of feelings about this. Um, well, well um, and, and even more so, like, I, I would argue that, like, among the best, like, blockbuster directors out there is Steven Spielberg. He does many movies, but he also has created some of the highest grossing and most popular summer, summer blockbuster movies, starting with Jaws, where he invented the genre, but also Indiana Jones, um, Jurassic Park, which we were talking about last episode. Love it. Still maybe the best movie of all time. Um, but he is not a director who is making dumb movies. They're smart movies. They're well put together. They deserve the Oscars and the critical praise that they get. Um, so it, it just comes down to like a good director who can make appealing, popular movies that then a studio will, will release in the summer should be rewarded and praised. And that is just how the machine is built now. However, you also have other directors who are not Steven Spielberg quality, uh, or, or even just not like George Miller or J.J. Uh, Abrams, any of any of the very top tier directors who often will try to make a summer blockbuster and audiences won't respond to it for many reasons. We'll get into all that later. Well, and I would like to just mention briefly the role I think that studios play in all of this phenomenon, because I get very frustrated with the fact that unless a movie is released um, in September through December, which is frequently known as Oscar season, yes, uh, it tends to get very, it tends to get treated very dismissively, because that is the time that studios have decided that is when they will release their prestige dramas, because it is, and I think that has to do with when um, Oscar contenders are voted on. So they want their movies to be fresh in the minds of um, the MPAA or the the Academy when they go to pick their nominees and when they go to vote on their winners. Um, all of which makes sense, but because they have these sort of arbitrary times designated as like, okay, this is when we release the movies that make a lot of money, and this is when we release the, crit the movies that we want to be critically acclaimed, then it becomes this false dichotomy of, well, if a movie got released in the summer, then it must not be worthwhile because it wasn't released in the time period that we have decided is Oscar movie time. Yes. And and the one exception to all this I, I can think of off the top of my head is war movies. Uh, and that's because, again, war movies tend to be costly. They tend to be action flicks. Studios know that they can get people into, the, into that theater in summer. But also, thinking of a movie like Dunkirk, that that is a, a definite Oscar film anyway. It's true. Um, and I do, while we're talking about the calendar, I want to talk about how interesting it is that Marvel released a movie like Black Panther during February, which is typically a very dead season for uh, production companies. Like, that February-March area tends to be kind of a dumping ground for studios to release movies that they don't have a lot of confidence in, they don't think are going to make a lot of money. Um, I think it, it, sort of... It's also when horror films come out, and horror films tend to be pretty low-grossing. Well, horror movies also don't take as much don't cost as much to make right. so they can make a they can turn a profit on a much smaller um ticket revenue and, and small distributors like uh, a24 or whomever want to release them because they're not like they're not putting their their get out against or like their babadook against avengers infinity war yeah i let me see i before i say this next thing i want to make sure that it's true well as you bring that up 
with when it comes to Black Panther, I feel like Marvel did not know what they had on their hands. They didn't expect it to have the reaction that it did, and that kind of shows forward like forth in how those characters appear or don't appear in Infinity War. I disagree hmm. just because you can see for, I disagree for two reasons. One, they let Ryan Coogler make exactly the movie that, that he wanted to make. And I think when a studio is concerned or um, yeah, when a studio is concerned about how popular a movie is going to be, they tend to be much, they tend to have a much tighter control over how it's made. Please see solo. Yeah. Um, and Ryan Coogler got to make the movie that he wanted to make. Um, and he also got to make a really expensive movie. I, I guess I should say, I don't think that they thought they'd had a bomb on their hands, I thought they, like, I think they thought they had a movie that was going to make money, not a billion dollars worth of money. Uh, like, if, if that distinction makes sense, and we might just be splitting hairs there. Yeah. Um, but the, the one that I wanted to bring up is, if you listen to How Did This Get Made, um, which is another podcast, I have to stop plugging other people's podcasts, but that one's very good. <laughs> Until they start plugging uh, us, damn it. Yes. Uh, they did an interview with Lexi Alexander, who is the woman who directed Punisher Warzone, hmm. which came out in 2008. And she made that to be a summer release because the way that she made it, it was very true to the Punisher comics. So it was very over the top, um, very almost like comedic levels of violence. Like it was, it was supposed to be um sort of like gratuitous dread. what sort of like dread yes um and then what happened was they pushed her release back to december mm. so not only was this like during almost the holiday movie season <laughs> but also when a lot of like critically acclaimed movies were coming out and she was like you're gonna kill my movie because it's not a family movie and it's not a cerebral like action film. It is like, this is a summer movie. This is a movie that people should go see to be entertained and they're going to be expecting something different. And sure enough, it tanked. And I, I think that part of it is because it came out at an incongruous time for how the studio, like the studio is trying to pitch it as the next dark Knight, And it is not mm -hmm. that. Um, so a combination of advertising and then also when it ended up being released, I think, uh, killed that movie and actually made it quite hard for her to continue working for a while, which is too bad because she's a really good director. Hmm. Um, but now she has this huge bomb on her record. Right, right. Um. Do we want to talk about uh, sort, sort of like our own favorite summer blockbusters or even just like summer blockbuster directors? Because I think there are definitely a handful of directors who make phenomenal um, sure. movies like this. Uh, at this point, it might just be a listicle, though. Uh, or do you want to keep uh, going well, through? Well, we can, we can talk about, because we're, we're basically, we're arguing for the worth of the summer blockbuster. Yes. Yeah. So let's present our evidence. Great. <laughs> um, so I've already mentioned Steven Spielberg, and, you know, he deserves to be sort of at the top of this pantheon, simply canonized. For the, yeah, canonized <laughs> exactly. Um, both for the number of films that he's he's made that fit this description, and also the fact that he invented the genre. Um, yeah, who else, I, who else is on this? I just want to say, I just want to say that I also get mad when like film bros put down the the summer blockbusters summer blockbuster genre because 
all your faves, dude. Yeah. Literally all your faves. Yeah. Like I I pulled up a list that I will link to in the blog that is the biggest blockbusters that came out every year after Jaws. Mm-hmm. And it's like every Star Wars movie, every Indiana Jones movie, E.T., uh, I, Ghostbusters, Back to the Future, Top Gun, Terminator like, Two, Independence Day, which I will is maybe not the best example for this, but I will uh, lay uh, my life down for that movie. I, I've got an interesting bit about Independence Day. Like I, I love that movie. Maybe for nostalgia reasons, I haven't seen it in a while. Um, but I was reading an article a few months ago about how that changed the way summer blockbusters are advertised. Um, oh. Independence Day is the movie that like. Everyone was making summer blockbusters before that. Please see every movie Martha just said. Um, but then at Independence Day, the studio pumped a ton of money into its advertising budget for the first time. And that led to massive recoups at the box office. Um, so Independence Day is to blame for the fact that ads for summer blockbusters are inescapable and that you have tie-ins with Taco Bell. So, wait, Pete, are you saying that if a studio supports its movies those movies will make money it's a crazy idea but sometimes when you put money into a product you get more money out of the product yes hmm, yes <laughs> <laughs> um some summer blockbusters that i think fit the bill but don't but aren't what we think of are a lot of pixar movies um ratatouille came out in the summer uh, yeah and so did um inside out for sure because i distinctly remember seeing that in the summer i don't I think Wally might have, but don't quote me on that. Um, I, I think well, I think Wally was a Christmas movie. Oh, it does feel like a Christmas movie. Because I, I want to say that it was cold when yeah. I went to see that. Yeah. Um, but like Ghostbusters, comedy, yeah. action comedy, summer blockbuster, new Ghostbusters, the reboot. Oh, no. Nope. Also. You're right. Wally was released uh, in June of 2008. Oh, So cool. I am just... I may have gone to see it in a re-releasing the Oscar nominees mm, for that mm-hmm, year. Mm-hmm. Summer of 2008 was a good year because The Dark Knight came yeah. out that year as well. God, that that year was sick. Yeah. For uh, Best Picture nominees. Yeah. Oof, yeah. Um, well, and, and speaking <laughs> speaking of Dark Knight, Chris Nolan releases, like, almost, almost all his movies are summer blockbusters. Uh, Interstellar might be the outlier there. Vomit. Um, yeah, well, we'll agree to disagree. When when did Inception come out? Yeah, that, that was Inception summer. was July twenty ten. Um. Yeah, I would have I would have thought Interstellar was fine if it hadn't been eighteen years of my life. Yeah. Could have gotten a better editor. He learned his lesson with Dunkirk since that was like an hour and a half. Interstellar premiered in October of two thousand fourteen. Cool. Do you know what that means, Pete? Uh, well, it's not a summer blockbuster. No, it means that he was hardcore angling for a Best Picture nominee. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Chris. <laughs> um, but so I, so I pulled up a list of the 10 biggest box office flops of all time um, because I was curious about how many of them were... Uh, desirous i think of becoming summer blockbusters Mm. the answer is all of them that makes sense and i want to have a personal plug (laughs) which is a few nights ago as i was doing some crafting i was watching valerian and the city of a thousand planets that is a quintessential 
trying to be a summer blockbuster, failed real hard at the box office, and also not a good movie. Well, and I think that this is also an important factor to consider when we talk about why these movies get so unfairly maligned is they cost a lot to make so when they fail they fail hard yes and frequently these are the movies that studios are advertising really hard so we get told like oh this is gonna be awesome and it's gonna be you're gonna be psyched to see it and it's gonna be so exciting and there is the taco bell tie-in like cup that you can buy so then when you see it and it's crap it's a bigger disappointment than if you had gone to see a movie that cost like $12 million to make and only needed to make 14 in order to be like, oh, well, you know, that was fine. Mm -hmm. So 10 biggest box office flops, all of which were released during the summer. I have only heard of a few of them. (laughs) Is this like since 19 whatever, whatever? Or is this of all time? The the Esquire claims it is of all time. But they're also all probably post-1980. Probably. So we have the 13th Warrior, which I've never heard of. Oh, no, that's Antonio Banderas uh, playing an Arab dude going to hang out with the Vikings based on a Michael Crichton book. Not good. Yes. Budget, $160 million. Box office, $61 million. Yikes. Um, Titan AE, which I enjoyed quite a lot. That was uh, animated, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah, okay. Uh, the Adventures of Pluto Nash. Yikes. Which, Sorry, who Eddie Murphy. that one? <laughs> Stealth. Mm, sure, yeah. Sentient uh, fighter pilot. Yeah. And then here is one that upsets me because I enjoyed it quite a bit, and I just don't think it was appreciated in its time. Please say Battleship. Speed Racer. <laughs> oh. How dare you? <laughs> I just wanted the crazy curveball. Um, Speed Racer came out the day after my birthday in 2008. It kicked off that summer movie season. I love this movie so much. None of you Philistines appreciate it. None of you deserve it. So um, I, I haven't seen it, but my brother, uh, friend of the show, Mark, ha- has the same opinion you do about it. That it's like, it's a cracked out candy colored dreamscape of awesome. Uh, it is delightful. Mm. I should uh, at some point get around to seeing it. Uh, next we have R.I.P.D., Sure. I think it's like people shooting ghosts or something. Yeah, Ryan Reynolds and uh, Jeff Bridges play dead people who I think are cops of ghosts. Yeah. I think. Who can say? That sounds like a pretty good summary of a movie that neither of us have seen. And see, the next one on this list is The Lone Ranger, which obviously was a terrible film. I did not see it, but I did not have to see it. But it... The budget was two hundred and twenty-five million. Its box office was two hundred and sixty. Is that? Are we counting that as a flop? Is that a failure? So I know that when we talk about budget, we're not including advertising, and that was a movie that was advertised to the sky and back. So uh, it, okay, I so it bet probably the studio still lost. Yeah, but I'm with you that that's not like that's a failure of expectation, not of actual outcome. Although I think the biggest tell that that movie was legit a failure is that they never tried to make a sequel. True. Um, But I think that was Jerry Bruckheimer, and if not, it was definitely produced by him, and he is definitely on the list of, like, blockbuster directors. Not necessarily good ones. Yeah, it was uh, produced by Bruckheimer. I don't know who directed it. Yeah. Uh, Like, the first parts of the Caribbean, great summer blockbuster, and a bit of a stealth blockbuster. Um, That one got, got there by word of mouth. But then, you know, he doubled down on that, and now we're still having Pirates movies for some reason. 
Also, why are we still giving Johnny Depp jobs? Yes, they should have cast him out of a uh, uh, Gringle Grindelwald. Ugh. Wizards he was can, in like, the first one for 12 seconds. You could have recast him. Also, why would you recast Colin Farrell? Like, also, it's a world of magic. You know, say like, oh, there was a magical accident and now he looks different. Done. Thanks. Yes, thanks for validating my decision to never see that first one. Uh, so next we have Ben-Hur, the remake, not the original. <laughs> I don't know why someone wanted to remake it. Oh, because in the everyone saw Every once in a while, they try to re- they try to make sword and sandals movies a thing, which honestly, I am all in for. I love sword I, and sandals movies when they're I, called Gladiator. I don't really understand. I think it's because they make bad ones. Like yeah. Gods of Egypt was a cool concept that they ruined by casting all white people and then writing a story that made no sense. Was that the one where it's all the um, the Egyptian pantheons? Yes. Okay, not the Moses like, story directed by um, no, Ridley Scott different. for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, like, the Egyptian Egyptian mythology is rife with awesome things that would make good stories. But yeah. maybe, you know, don't cast all white people. Right. And, um, uh, and again, have a better script. And then the last one on this movie is the most recent King Arthur movie that came out starring Charlie Hunnam. Yeah. Which, you know, fair. Well, and that's the same thing with the sword and sandals. It's like every now and then someone's going to, like, there are, I think, seven Robin Hood movies in production right now for some reason. Their popular Why? story. I, yeah, like, their popular <laughs> stories. I don't know. Robin Hood's great, but I'm not that and into Robin Hood. Well, and it shouldn't be that hard to make it a good movie. Like, it's a simple, fun adventure. And right now, I feel like people are all in on this idea of sticking it to the rich yeah, this this should be a, this should be a popular and a populist uh, get a great like you know. So this Will is, Scarlet this is, in the sense that he's waving that red flag, Robin Hood. <laughs> and, so this and, is know, the people. question. This is the question I think I want us to end on. When we look at the movies that fail, because we're talking about how these movies should have been good. Yeah. Where do we think they go wrong? I think that the script is the a number one reason um and all like that's an easy thing to say but most of those movies you listed had decent enough special effects they cast charismatic enough people in them um the directors some of them are directors who have done other things that are good uh but across the board it's either that like the ideas sometimes are there but the script isn't um it could be a case where every movie is different and has different highs and lows Valerian had both a bad script and then also Dane DeHaan, who was like just wet cardboard next to everyone else in that movie who knew what kind of movie they were in. Um, yeah, so that's my hot take is movies have many parts and it could be any of them, but the script is the one that really jumps out to me. I would like to posit that it is the movies that fail are the ones that play into the worst stereotypes of what a summer blockbuster is. Hmm. So the ones that fail, it's because the audience in some way gets underestimated by the movie, the people making the movie. Mm-hmm. So whether that's by a script that's too stupid or miscasting because it's like, oh, this movie won't be successful unless we put Gerard Butler in it or like in some way, because the ones that we have talked about being really good are really smart movies. Yes. Like, let us not forget that just because Marvel makes superhero movies, I mean, 
Winter Soldier was a summer blockbuster and is also one of the smartest movies I've seen in a really long time. Yes. Like, it is asking a lot of its audience, and because of that, I think it has big payoff. And, and on the flip side, you have movies like BVS, uh, which was trying to be a summer blockbuster, probably is because it did make buku money, uh, but doesn't have that... I Like, amongst people I know, it doesn't have critical cachet, and it's generally reviled. Um, so on the one hand, the studios succeeded, but they made something that everyone hated. But that was a movie that tried to be smart. It thought it was smart, but it wasn't. And I think audiences can tell that. Yes, I, I generally think that studios don't put it as much faith in their audiences as we deserve. Like, I think that advertising tends to play to the lowest common denominator. And that, again, ends up being why a lot of movies fail, because they get advertised as something that they're not. Yes. Um, one of the things that I do for the library is I buy, I purchase for our DVD collection, which means that I get to see the genre that studios categorize movies as. Hmm. And the number of movies that get categorized as a comedy when they are distinctly not mm -hmm. uh, is astonishing. Like, do, you, I, do you have an example? Because I really want to hear an example. Uh, well, not an example of that, but I Schindler's think about when I went comedy. <laughs> well, I think about when I went to see the movie that Robin Williams made about the um, the comedian who runs for president and gets nominated man of the year. Hmm. And that was marketed as a straight up and down comedy. And it's not, it's a political satire. Like the, the movie that it is. Oh, Ladybird. Ladybird is a really good example. Oh, yeah. That's a drama. Yes. It <laughs> okay. is categorized on the vendor that we use, which I'm not going to name because I'm a professional sometimes. Um, but it is categorized as a, as a comedy. Huh? I mean, the, and, and, has... and you know what? The, the, the trailer was cut so that it, it felt like a lighthearted coming-of-age movie. Yes. Yeah. Because I don't think the studio trusted people to go to want to go see a um, movie, a serious movie with jokes in it mm -hmm. about a teen girl's relationship to her mom. Right. Which, which gets into a, a thing that we talk about often on this podcast which is the fact that like it, and also like summer blockbusters tend to be big explodey action movies because everyone's going to go see a big explodey action movie but studios especially are like well men aren't going to see a movie about a teen girl's relationship with the mom so we're writing off half the audience right there men don't go to see romantic comedies so let's just not do that as a genre anymore um, which is all not true but it's where like the studio mindset is so that's what we're getting so we're going to have to advertise this quirky coming-of-age story as a comedy because then maybe we'll get some dudes in the theater. Yeah, it's it's all terrible. I don't watch trailers anymore unless I have already seen the movie or I have decided that... I have already decided that I'm going to go see the movie. I don't watch trailers as an informative venue anymore. Yeah, I don't mostly because... Mostly because of time and interest. Like, I'll watch a trailer if it's a movie that I'm already interested in. Maybe it'll sway me one way or the other, but I'm not going to watch a trailer for something I, like, default have no interest in. Um, well, and I also, I recognize that I'm a little bit of a default, or um, 
outlier in that I will go see pretty much anything. Right. Like my my interest or disinterest tends to stem more from who the actors are that are involved in it or um like the genre of the film, but yeah. I pretty much I just like going to the movies. You're very sad that movie passes are IPing. You know, it was nice while it lasted. <laughs> and sad I but honestly, not surprised. Honestly, a bunch of billionaires are losing money so that I could so that I could go see Happy Death Day and The Greatest Showman. So you know, <laughs> that's a win-win. All, all in all. <laughs> yep. Yep. Well, that is all the time we have for this nice short summer break episode. Uh, go see some summer blockbusters. I don't know. Milwaukee's been like. It's had its hot days, but it's been a little bit cooler than normal. Um, plus, my main everyone, yeah. everyone, go see. Sorry to bother you. Oh yeah, that's your homework. Yeah, go I see. Really Sorry to bother you, that. and then go see Bootlegged. I don't know if Bootlegged's out yet, but definitely go see. Sorry to bother you. What is Bootlegged about? Uh, Bootlegged is also about the Oakland Bay Area. It is David Diggs and oh, who's the white guy in yes. it. Yes, it's like a. Uh, is this the one where David Diggs um, like witnesses a police shooting or something? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I've heard really good things. Um. Yeah, searching bootlegged movie just <laughs> brings up a lot of <laughs> out of fire movies. Um, but yeah, Debbie Diggs is in it. Um, but first, go see Boots Riley's new movie. Sorry to bother you. I haven't seen it yet. I've okay. heard only good things. I'm really excited about seeing it. Same. Um, I don't think it's gonna be a summer blockbuster. No. But... It's it's <laughs> um... way too weird and political to do that. I think. But I think it's yeah. going to generate a lot of conversation. And shout out to Boots Riley for releasing it during the summer. We yes. have talked about what a what a risk that can be. So you know what? I I support you. I'm into it. Oh, you know, one one last thing. <laughs> Turns out we, we have more time than I, I thought. Um, this summer feels like it's it's a, got a bit of a deficit of summer blockbusters. Um, maybe they just got scattered a bit more because the season is so much longer now than it used to be. It goes from like... April 29th till, you know, September. Uh, but it feels like now here in the dog days of summer, there really hasn't been anything out. I blame a couple things on that. I blame the monopoly that Marvel has had on the summer movie mm -hmm. season. Um, I blame Jurassic World. I, I blame the fact that we now Oh, right. They might huge, just be bad. <laughs> we now have huge franchises that rely on the summer blockbuster season to release. And I feel like people then don't want to compete with those. Yes. So they are more, I, I think that we will come to see more movies releasing in the early fall when they are not competing with the newest Star Wars movie or the newest Marvel movie. And you had the good point with Jurassic World, which is like, there were a fair number of attempted blockbusters this summer. They were just not good. So I forgot about them. Yeah, I believe I gave everyone who listens to this podcast permission not to see Jurassic Park Fallen World. Yes. You can consider that to be a continuing thing. Yes. All right. Well, that seems like a good place to end. Uh, yes. You can find us online at homeworkpodcast.com. You can follow us on Twitter at DYDYHpodcast. Find us on Facebook just by searching Did You Do Your Homework? Uh, send us messages through any of those means. Our email is show at homeworkpodcast.com. You remembered. Uh, yes. <laughs> Took me a second. Um, yeah, send us a message, message through any of those, and 
suggestions, ideas, talk back, whatever. Um, you know where to listen to us because you're currently doing it, but please rate and review us because that is how the algorithm gnomes uh, expand our reach to the far corners of the podcast world. You can find me on Twitter at Pico3000, P-I-K-O-3000. And Martha, how about yourself? Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Magical Martha. Cool. Uh, other than our homework for next week, I think that's it, right? Uh, yes. Great. Um, next week, school is back in session because we sort are of. assigning some homework. However, <laughs> as uh, Martha alluded to, it's syllabus week. Nobody really does assigns real homework for syllabus week. So we are talking about uh, reality TV shows. Yes, we are. I am hijacking the podcast for my blatant own personal interests uh, because The Bachelorette will be coming to a conclusion the Monday before we record. So I am making Pete watch reality TV for homework. Yes. Uh, your assignment is to watch... Um, your, your general assignment is to watch the reality TV of your choice. Uh, however, we also have some specific choices uh, for you to check out so that we can get into uh, the nitty-gritty details and subtleties of reality TV. Um, we will be joined by my sister in front of the podcast, Lizzie Bueller. Uh, she is my partner in Bachelorette Crimes, so I would like to encourage you all to watch that finale. I hope that for her bachelorette party, you make a sign that says partner in bachelorette crimes. Oh, God, it's going to be so good. Uh, Lizzie, don't listen to this podcast. (laughs) Uh, The other thing I'm going to assign for you, um, I I will note that the bachelorette streams on Hulu the day after it airs on ABC. So that would be Tuesday. Um, Also, a show called The Great Food Truck Race. Um, Catch a couple episodes of that. It doesn't matter what season. Uh, I am picking that as an example of not just food-based reality TV, but also commerce-based, which I will get more into uh, when we record the show. Cool. And I am assigning the show that we've talked about a lot in this episode on this podcast, uh, The Great British Baking Show. Um, if you've not seen it at all, I'd recommend the first season that's on Netflix. Uh, it's just a really nice group of people. Um, I mean, every season is great. Is that the one with Martha, the student? Yes. Yeah. I love her. Yeah. It's, it's a really good introduction to the show. Um, and it's also a really great show. All right. That is going to do it for us. Uh, make sure you do this very light and easy syllabus week homework. And until next episode, class dismissed.